Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, everybody. This is England is Burning for Monday, September 27, 2021. This is your Chelsea weekly feature with Rob Pratley with the CFCW Social. Welcome back, Rob, to the show. Yeah, welcome. Thank you very much for having me. It is a bright and sunny. I don't know what it's like. The weather's like where you are, um, Rob. It is bright and sunny, and and going to be a nice warm day in the ATL in Georgia. What's the weather like where you are? Uh, it's not too bad. It's it's bright and clear, but not so sunny. Got you, got you. But I imagine you uh, are in very good spirits. Uh, how do you feel this morning? Yeah, it's a it's a very it's an interesting experience actually. I did last week. I said. You know, I felt that people were underselling Chelsea a bit and they might go on and put on a bit of a show and remind people this weekend. There's obviously, you know, in, because they lost their opening game of the season, they're now naturally a terrible side. And, you know, plucky Emma Hayes has to go up right. against everyone else. Like, she's never obviously done before. And somehow they managed to miraculously beat a team 6-1. Right. And what were you expecting, though? Because we, I mean, there was a lot of fanfare going in this match. It was going to be very interesting, kind of how mm-hmm. things were going on the United side, as far as, you know, they have Mark Skinner, the new manager, you know, it's a little bit more new energy in place. And, and, um, you know, and then Chelsea, as you mentioned, were kind of being a little bit undersold and, and like, you know, like, oh, they tripped up against Arsenal. What's wrong? Uh, you know, what were you expecting out of this match? I mean, in all honesty, I, I sort of maintain the view and I've maintained it for a little while that there is a gap in WSL mm-hmm. between the big, you know, the, the proverbial big three and the rest. And although the gap is getting smaller, it's going to take time to diminish it and it's going to take investment to diminish it. And so far, we've seen a little bit of one of those, but not a significant amount, certainly not compared to perhaps what United fans would hope and indeed what they've seen on the men's side. And there's just not been the same amount of time. And I think, in all honesty, the result was something that, even without the gloss of the late two late goals, because I think it's important to acknowledge the gloss, and that comes down to the squad depth, that Chelsea were able to bring on players that would unanimously start and be star players for Manchester United. Um, even without that, you know, it's still a fact that Chelsea were able to go to a side that are in a le- you know, want to view themselves as a title contender. I've always said all along, I don't think they are. But want to view themselves as a title contender and been beaten very, very comfortably and won the game very easily, despite not playing brilliantly, in all honesty. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I don't imagine, though, Rob, that you were expecting a 6-1 scoreline. Uh, were you expecting them to win comfortably? I mean, how, how did the... I, I thought they would win. I, I must admit, I've gone on... I don't like doing score predictions because, as I've said before, they're so right. much... Right. You know, that, that's why I don't even score. ask you anymore. Yeah, they're, 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 <laughs> it's pointless doing score predictions, especially in a league like WSL, because before the weekend, I'm not sure what the odds would have been on Chelsea to win 6-1 and Arsenal to win 5-0 against right. the two Manchester clubs, but probably astronomical. And, you know, right. if anyone if anyone is listening along, did decide to have those bets, please do DM me the lottery numbers for next week. It would be much appreciated. But right. more more in general, I think it it's one of those, I expected Chelsea to win. I know they're a good goal-scoring side, but I thought maybe a 3-1 might be a realistic scoreline. I, I did think United would score, but not in the way they did. I thought they would score more due to the fact that I thought they would make more of a game of it at times. And I think for a combination of factors, they didn't make a game of it when they needed to. And ultimately, even when they wanted to try and doing that, they were then sort of out of the match, really. 
Exactly. Um, and that's kind of what it would it seem like, um, you know, from the very start. But going into the lineup, I mean, there was some question as to whether or not Emma Hayes was going to switch back to the to a 4-3-3 setup uh, or continue with the 3-4-3 setup that she'd been working on uh, from mm-hmm. the start. And so we found out the answer to setup was indeed a 3-4-3. Um, and what, what, what surprises, if any, were in, were in store, do you think, in the lineup? What, what, were there any, in your opinion? Uh, I thought Melly Lopez starting was a little bit of a shock. Obviously, we sort of knew that Erin um, Cuthbert, due to her injury on international duty, and again, I hope, you know, another player who I hope gets well very, very soon. Um, yeah, we knew Neem Charles was probably going to come in on there. But I think Melly Lopez coming in the midfield was interesting because G has been such a ever-present and is such a fantastic player. And I think Chelsea possibly wanted to counter the physical the physical aspect of Grunen and uh, Zellum in the midfield with someone who can hold their own a little bit more. Mm-hmm. Were you surprised with United's lineup going in? Yes, like very surprised. I thought it was, I thought it was, and I've said this to a couple of people in general. Mark Skinner's tactics are were best naive and at worst ridiculous because I think they tried to play. Um, they tried to copy a little bit what Arsenal did by playing a fluid system with the forwards and a fluid attacking system. However, it's very clear that Ella Toon is not a false nine, um, right. at least in my opinion. Uh, Staniforth couldn't really get into the game and Galton and uh, Hansen both, you know, spent so much time being sort of pinned back because they couldn't get the ball forward. So effectively, you end up in a situation where because Toon was sort of isolated, she ends up up against three centre-backs. And there's very few centre-forwards in the world, even proper centre-forwards, that can play up against three centre-backs really well, let alone a makeshift midfielder. Um, I was really surprised Russo didn't play again. She's a very good young player. And also, you know, she was going to have the impetus in her mind to want to do well um, against her former club. And again, obviously came on and did, I think, you know, was probably Manchester United's player of the match effectively. Um, obviously did also score, albeit in, you know, somewhat fortunate circumstance. And yeah, I thought that, you know, the the entire lineup to me was just very odd. I thought Vitno Vildeboa was a shock as well. Um, mm-hmm. I think maybe in a way Mark Skinner viewed her as a bit, almost as viewing her as a bit of a luxury player, someone who they can't afford to play in those games because she does like to take risks on the ball and does like to sort of be quite, Progressive is the wrong word, but does like to, you know, take time and it does like to think about what she's going to, you know, do, take time before she plays the pass. And obviously, against a side like Chelsea, you possibly don't want that. But I think with hindsight now, looking back on it, that's exactly what United needed at times. What they also didn't need was to concede within about, you know, to be giving the ball away within 15 seconds and allowing Sam Kerr a good effort on goal. And then within three minutes, giving the ball away from playing out from the back. But that's by the by. So, yeah, I was not surprised, uh, you know, I was not surprised at all, except for G not being in a starting lineup for Chelsea. And and I, and so basically my thought was pretty much that Chelsea lined up with the strongest lineup they could, barring, you know, people that were unavailable. Yeah. Um, so, you know, it was strong, line, a very, very strong lineup. And, and I expected Chelsea to come out exactly the way they came out. I, I expected you know, uh, something similar to the last time Chelsea played United, where basically Chelsea started out immediately pressing high, pressing, 
then anytime when with possession of the ball being very, very forward, moving as quickly as possible and trying to get a very, very early goal. Um, didn't quite happen in the last match as quickly <laughs> as it did in this one. Um, and I mean, what did you think of the early tactical strategy that Chelsea played out to start the match? I think Chelsea, in all honesty, this was where you saw the difference with Emma Hayes and Mark Skinner. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Emma knew that United were going to try and be more progressive. And so sat and just said, right, well, let's make them sort of do that. And with Chelsea's front three, they've got of Kerr, Kirby and Harder, because they're all so quick and so dynamic. They can effectively be that pressing machine. And then you've got Charles and Wrighton, who themselves aren't slow, and you can put them in there and close the gaps. Thorese Dottier, one of the main reasons Emma was happy for her to leave Chelsea is she's not a ball-playing centre-back. She's not the sort of player that's going to bring it out. She's a good player, she's a good defender but mm-hmm. in the right system, but she needs to be used in that system. And I think, you know, the lack of uh, Millie Turner was massively shown because she is somebody who is afraid to, isn't afraid to take it out from the back, but also isn't afraid to just clear her lines. Um, and I think in a way, Chelsea did target, they knew the fact that, United would try and play out through the player who was best at playing through the press, and that was Hannah Blundell. And being an ex-Chelsea player, Chelsea, although she knows all about Chelsea as an attacking force, Chelsea also know all about her as a defensive force and know that she is, you know, they know the sort of opportunities and the way they can pick holes in that defence. Um, am I going to say it was completely, you know, Blundell's fault? Not at all. You know, you don't, if you lose 6-1, it's very rarely due to one single player. But I do right. think Blundell did struggle um, mm-hmm. with Admani and I think as well struggled massively up against the attacking impetus on that side, especially of how well Panilla Harder was playing. And also, I mean, the, yeah, the, the first goal, that was, you know, naive, giving it away to Sam Kerr in that position. If, you, if there's one thing you don't really want to do early on, it's give a cheap goal away to Sam Kerr and Fran Kirby. Because A, it just boosts both their confidence, but B, it also then means you have that doubt in your mind of the, do I just, you know, if I clear it and hoof it and it comes straight back to them, I'm suddenly one-on-one. And that's when you start having that doubt in your mind of trying to play through. And it was interesting, after the first goal, United started to go a little bit more direct and try and work yeah. their way into the game. And they had their most successful period of the game trying to be direct. And I think it ended with Staniforth put that sort of cross-come shot sort of miles over the bar. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, a few moments later, United were out of the game due to a piece of, again, dallying on the ball in the midfield. Right. So at first, Rob, I was thinking that, you know, it was a bit of a gamble to press so high. But then as I'm listening to you, you know, kind of explain this out, maybe it really wasn't because it was essentially a pressing high against a back line that... Emma Hayes knew was probably not suited to play the system that they were being asked to play. Exactly that. And I think that's the, there was a, as I've said, at best it was naivety, at worst it was ridiculous to try and ask players that aren't used to playing out from the back. And okay, there's one thing doing it against, you know, the likes of, even against Reading at times, they struggle playing out from the back. But there's yes. one thing doing it against the likes of Reading and Leicester. There's another thing doing it against the champions and doing it against Arsenal and even doing it against Manchester City when they've got their full complement of players. And that's where I think, you know, at the moment, that was where the big tactical gap showed. 
Yeah, I mean, and I, I got to give full credit for you know the the what I call the tri the tri the triad of you know Harder Kirby and Carr. I mean, just pressing so high, so relentlessly. Um, but it's almost like they knew, like, hey, if we just keep doing this, we're going to get a cheap. Yeah. Inter- interception we're going to get a cheap turnover and we're going to be in great position to score which is exactly what happened um and yeah i mean i just find you know um i just found the whole system a combination of the of how great those three are playing against a back line that was just didn't seem like they knew what to do um you know yeah players who uh you know trying to play out from the back passes being passed into just space mm-hmm. uh, players not running to get the and get the passes uh, and people who had a deer and headlights look about them um, you know when challenged um, and you know that's just you know that that's when, as you draw up you know if you wanted to, to do a tactical lesson on how you draw up a high press, uh, with a high line of engagement, um, a very high line of engagement, and explain why it possibly could work without, you know, because you are giving up a whole lot of space. But if you press them so hard and so well against a weak link or weak links in this case, um, you're going to come out ahead in the end because you're going to get cheap turnovers and easy scoring chances, which is exactly what happened. Um mm-hmm. And it, it, the worst thing, yeah, you're right. I think the worst thing that could have happened. I knew the game was. I knew the game was over, Rob, when Kerr scored in two minutes. Yeah, I mean, I, I knew I, it was I, over. I mean, it was like unless there was some sort of tactical miracle that I thought would not happen. Yeah. Um, the game, I to me, the game was already done. Um, I, I personally, I don't think it was done at one 0 because I don't think any game was ever done one 0 due to the nature of. Football is the wonderful sport that is one goal is never enough. For me, the game was settled when Vanilla Harder, uh, you know, again, we saw a bit of vintage Vanilla Harder. And I've said this to a couple of people, mixed responses, that I think Vanilla Harder is now, I said earlier in, when we did the preview for the season, that Chelsea's big challenge this year is get the most out of Vanilla Harder. Because when they do, suddenly you unlock a whole new dimension to a player right. who, right. Chelsea's seen glimpses of it. But there is a player that is the best in the world in that. Um, is just categorically can be the best in the world if she is at her absolute best and is her, her maxim. And, you know, I still don't think, I think Chelsea is starting to get there. And I think, you know, when you've got Kerr and Kirby alongside, it is at times you do feel like harder in some ways amazingly feels a bit like a third wheel. Mm-hmm. But I think now we're starting to see, and also through the, the connecting and they're assisting each other a little bit more and passing to each other a bit more and using that press a bit more coherently, suddenly, if you can make that, you know, turn that duo into a triumvirate, then you do have something incredibly, incredibly scary. I mean, the goal, you know, taking it off Gronin with that, Gronin took a, you know, a second, split second poor touch, and against so many other players in the league, I think, you know, nearly every other player in the league, there's maybe one or two other players I can think of, probably, you know, the likes of Lauren Hemp, Mm -hmm. Viv Niedermeyer, um, sort of Penilla Harder, her, Kirby, um, sort of in the form they're in at the moment, people like Beth Mead, where if you take that touch against anyone other than them, you probably get the chance to make the clearance. You probably, you know, even if you get it wrong, you put a toe in, you commit the foul, you know, you regroup. 
But right. against those true world-class, world-class players, you give them that split second and bang, they're away. And as soon as Harder got that, as soon as she'd gone through there, there was then, you had an issue between Forrest, Dottie and Groen, and both so worried about touching her because she's just motoring and motoring and motoring. And then by then she's got into the box. Well, you know, if you pull her back now, it's a penalty you're getting sent off. Mm-hmm. There was a split second where you could commit that tactical foul. You missed right. it. And, and now you've got to take the medicine. And as soon as hard as one-on-one, I mean, yeah, you just don't... Just, again, Erps was left completely exposed, you know, one-on-one and harder. Yeah, that sort of finish is meat and drink to her. It's a tough finish. It's not an easy finish by any stretch of the imagination, but just making it look effortless. And that's what world-class players really do. And I think that's the goal that really knocked the stuffing out of Manchester United. Agreed. Uh, agreed. I mean, because, uh, you know, I, I've, from the end of last season i've always felt like for chelsea that harder was a key key component um because we all know about i mean we all know how great kirby and kerr have been together but then as we as you just mentioned to add harder to make it a triumvirate rather than a duo with a third wheel um which kind of seemed like the case several times last season um you know, just adds a completely another dimension, another entirely massive dynamic that, and I, I put a flag in it last season, you know, in the lead up to the Champions League final that I thought Harder was going to be such a key player. Now, it didn't play out exactly the way I thought in the in that final, but now it's playing out where she's now more a part of a triumvirate. Um, and her skills and everything is being played out. And that, that second goal was, was case in point of everything that she did, all those pieces putting together uh, that led to the goal, the run to the goal, um, you know, and people were just scared of their mind, out of their minds to even touch her, mm. um, as you said, you know, and you're right. There was one moment where there was one moment where they could have tackled her, then a tactical foul, you know, maybe put yourself in a position where, okay, you can set up something defensively, but it, that didn't happen. And then it was like, poor Maria, there was the tears holding her hands up in the air. Like, Oh, I'm not touching her. I'm not touching her. You, you don't, because yeah, I can completely understand that because Thori Stottier will, you know, you know, be aware of that. As soon as you're in that situation, if you, even right. if, you know, you do win the ball, if you lean on the player in any stretch of the imagination and they're right. clear away, then, right due to the nature of refereeing, you're inevitably going to give the referee to make a decision. And right. almost always it will favor the attacking player. Absolutely. Um, and then it was harder. I mean, but the other part of it is, and I'm just so, I, I'm so in awe of harder skills, mm-hmm. just the skill, the, te- the, the technical skill that, you know, because you said it was not an easy finish, you know, it was not an easy finish. And I mean, though she was one-on-one, it wasn't as easy as it looked. Um, yeah. And, but, you know, being a world-class player, the harder it is, she put it away. And that's what you expect from world-class players. And to see that, I was I was actually very happy to see that from a standpoint of, you know, we got to see that on display. Yeah. And and the, the, I will say, it reminds me, it's when we talk about harder sort of in that sort of third wheel run, it reminds me a little bit, and I think this is where, you know, I, I like looking at how, you know, FC Barcelona defending, who I think are the best team in the world, and they showed it last year. And they had the similar situation in the last couple of years of integrating Laker Martins, Caroline Graham Hansen and right. uh, Jenny Hermosa together. And mm-hmm. initially they struggled at fitting one of Graham Hansen or Laker Martins in. And eventually they started playing with that fluid front three and playing with them in that role. 
and when they all, suddenly there was just games that just suddenly all clicked and now you know they're sort of pretty much the names on the team sheet and although Barcelona can afford to rotate in some of their league games because they ultimately do face weaker opposition and not saying Chelsea won't rotate in some of their games or they face weaker opposition in the top games in the Champions League you know that they will be the three on the team sheet because they are the three that are going to cause the most damage um, I mean Again, if we sort of move on to sort of the third goal, I think as I messaged you yesterday, you've already conceded once from playing out from the back naively. Do you A, continue doing it, or B, start clearing your line? And I think this is the issue with Ella Toon up front, is that Toon, great footballer again, really great young player, um, or youngish player, but she's not a physical presence. And even up against, you know, okay, even if she pinned herself against Jess Carter, even still, you then got Magda Eriksson and Millie Brighton are both going to you know, come across. And I didn't think Magda Eriksson had her best game um, over the weekend, in all honesty. But even still, she's a very good sort of centre-back. And if you had that situation where the ball was going up to two, Brighton was just stepping in, or you had Ingle stepping in and just winning the ball ahead of her. And so she was having to track back, and it was pushing the space further and further back. And I feel like that was where you missed the, the focal point in the team. I was a little surprised Martha Thomas didn't play in that regard, not because... I think she necessarily would have been a superior option, but just because she adds that presence and that focal point up front as a pure striker. Um, but yeah, I mean, you know, effectively you just saw a carbon copy of the goal. I think it was Manny in this time gave it away cheap. You know, Zellum, I think, mm-hmm. gave it away cheaply. Ball back to Manny and that I think was dispossessed by Kirby and, you know, Kirby squaring it to Sam Kerr. Sam Kerr is not going to miss, you know, from that range with effectively an open goal. Um. Was there a moment, though, when Russo scored that goal, though, it was somewhat fortunate that it happened the way it did, but was there a moment there where he thought maybe United would be back in this? In all honesty, no, because I know how good Chelsea are. Mm-hmm. And Hayes wouldn't have let them let a three goal. Right. Yeah, you know, even if it had gone to 3-2, there would have been numerous changes. She would have, even if she needed to shut up shop, there would have been changes. But I think it, it was notable that as soon as Chelsea conceded, the first thing, the next bit I saw on my coverage was it skipping through to them being in the box and Kirby being you know upended by Alf Mannion and I thought that was going to be a penalty I must admit I thought the referee got that one wrong but it's telling that as soon as they conceded the first thing just then it was go up the other end and then you know dominate possession until they got the fourth goal and again I'll, I'll happily you know I've done it every single week now so I may as well continue the record VAR would have solved that goal VAR that was not a difficult offside decision to make it was one in real time. I thought, well, you know, she's clearly offside. Fair mm-hmm. enough to Kerr for playing to the whistle and waiting, you know, and putting it in mm-hmm. is what you want all good centre force to do. And it right. was a wonderful outside the boot cross from Kirby. But this is not... If it was a goal that was difficult for the lines person to give, I'd have sympathy. If it was, you know, a hairline offside, none of the goals that I've seen to be disallowed or allowed that would have been prevented by VAR or given by VAR have been hairline decisions... It is not mm-hmm. as if we're dealing with the stupid, minute decisions that we saw last year in the Premier League where people, you know, I couldn't really care if a player's glove is offside or if, you know, the, their right. middle finger is slightly ahead of the run of play. They're not they're not legally allowed to score with that. But when it's players that, you know, were a good, you know, Kerr was a good two yards offside by the time she put it in. When right. you've got that sort of decision going, you know, against you I mean yeah words fail me and again I'm not criticising I am criticising the referees but I'm not criticising the referees just for being the referees I thought in general the game was refereed quite well but Mm -hmm. 
it's gonna as I said, there's these big moments and these goals and things like that. And you know, if it comes down to goal difference at the end of the season and Chelsea win the league by, you know, one or two goals or lose the league by one or two goals, people are gonna start looking back on these things and think, well, if so and so's goal was given or so and so's goal was disallowed, we would have seen a different outcome. And that's where I think people would like to see VAR brought in. And Emma Hayes did touch on this again after the game. She, you know, she was asked about it. And to her credit, she stuck to her messaging throughout that she's had, you know, constantly, which is that technology is needed to improve the game. And I honestly, you know, I think increasingly the cries will get louder and louder for it because we're already seeing, you know, some ridiculous decisions in games. Obviously, you know, the Chelsea against Arsenal in the first week were clearly offside. That goal, OK, that didn't decide the match. But again, it was a clear, you know, decision. The handball in the Tottenham City game, which was a clear decision. Right. And until we see that resolved, I think, you know, you're still going to have the issues with refereeing. Yeah, I mean, it, it, I made the joke, um, you know, over and over again. I'm a Yank sitting in a chair in the south in Atlanta, Georgia, and I'm watching this live and I can see that it's offside, you know, Um and, you know, yeah, I watch a lot of football, yes, but still I saw it live offsides. I think there were two calls, two offsides or two goals that were offsides. One was clear clear and obvious. One maybe not so obvious, but neither one was called. But it just goes back to the point of, yeah, I mean, you mentioned goal difference. And that's the thing that's kind of been mulling over in my head where, um, you know, this is a minus five goal difference for United. This is a this is a plus five goal difference for for Chelsea and it can make a difference, um, you know, and hopefully it won't because then there's so many calls that I've seen of goals that may not have been truly goals um, because they're, you know, you couldn't see if the ball really crossed the line or there are obvious uh, offside calls that weren't made um, and so forth. But um, so there's that piece of it. And then if the, you know, Though you're, he didn't mention it's, I don't think it's mentionable necessarily as much in this match because I think from the physicality standpoint, it was okay uh, in terms of fouls that were called. Um, mm-hmm. But you know, my other concern also is then player safety uh, if there are fouls that are not called when they should be, um, and that's the other the other issue that. I have as well didn't play out in this match luckily um, but I see that as an issue moving forward as well yeah. no I completely agree I think that's a important that, that's an important point that I've said this you know in the I really don't like it in the men's game where if it's a hairline offside and it leads to a goal I can right. understand it but if it's clearly offside and you then play on until the move concludes and one of these times we're going to see a defender or someone have a rush of blood or a keeper have a rush of blood and come out and, yep. you know, clap Absolutely, yeah. or someone get injured. And right. the flag's going to go up and we're going to be, what's the point in playing on in that situation? And yeah, I, yeah just a farcical situation. Yeah, I mean, and, you know, I mean, I understand that the lines people have been instructed to allow the play to continue um, to before wow. blowing, you know, blowing it off sides. But then you we're still playing a very physical sport. And yeah. when you crowd the, the goal uh, and you got, you know, any people are using their heads um, and tackling and, and all that, you know, you, you do run the risk of having those things, you know, go horribly wrong. Um, so, you know, you need to use, you know, that that's partly why you have referees for player safety. And, and that's what I'm like most concerned of. Um, as well, and I've seen games in the women's side deteriorate 
into uh, just mayhem physically when when fouls were not not called early yeah. on when they should have, and then it turned into a just a ridiculous farce of you know you know it's like where the you know where the fouls where the cards you know mm-hmm. and it got phys- physically you know as more blood rushing the head and whatever but it just got more because you you people you allow player players or anybody get away with stuff they normally wouldn't get away with it just escalates you know mm-hmm. and i've seen that happen too so that's what i'm concerned about is for the referee standpoint but let me go back to the point on kind of something that you mentioned earlier which is uh in terms of just looking at the chelsea performance overall I think if I'm right, Rob, you mentioned that you did not think that Chelsea really played at their best, which is kind of hard to, for someone not really looking at this from as closely as you are uh, to say, wait a minute, Chelsea won six to one. How are you, How is anybody saying this wasn't their best? Because in all honesty, I, I don't think it was. I mean, they are... Mm-hmm. Chelsea, I think, played better in. I'm trying to think of games last year. There were games last year where Chelsea didn't win anywhere near as comfortably, where they played a lot better and a lot more controlled. At times in this game, they weren't very. They didn't have a control of the match. Certainly for a period after they scored, there was a period where United got control, and there were periods in the second half. I think it was quite chaotic and quite end to end, and there was that lack of putting a lid on it. But at the same time, they've still, you know, scored six. So you can't be too overly critical but I think this is where you know that's maybe the one thing Emma will want to see more of with the 3-4-3 is having that ability like they had with the 4-3-3 to control games and to close out games and just to dominate them properly um I think that's you know that'll be the next step really for from our Hayes's perspective so if I have this right so your feeling is is that you know the next step for them is to be able to kind of wrap wrap the game up in a bow basically and shut the whole game down and then see it out rather than having kind of this too fluid chaotic kind of process near the end certainly in bigger matches yeah i mean i think yeah. you know it's a bit of a catch 22 because obviously you sure. want to see more goals scored and you mm-hmm. know the more fluid system i think probably last year that game doesn't end um probably ends maybe 3-0 or 3-1 Right. With the fourth, because I don't think Chelsea would have come out in the same way in the second half. And mm-hmm. I think they don't give up that goal at the beginning of the second half, probably. They need to give one up a bit later, but they just close out the game. But in this case, because United sort of came back on them and Chelsea then sort of crushed it, I mean, the game did meander, apart from Alessio Arusa's effort that hit the crossbar, the game meandered for a lot of the second half. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was a case that Chelsea had got the game, you know, won. United were shooting from sort of all angles and all sort of areas to try and get back into it, but lacks that, you know, bit of quality and cutting edge. And in all honesty, I think, again, it would be a case if they had made it 4-2, Chelsea would have probably just gone up the other end, scored a fifth and just, you know, said, sort of, stop that. But it then came down to, you know, the strength of the respective benches. And I think, you know, Chelsea were able to bring on, um, sort of, besides Georgia Fox, who obviously is a very good young player, they were able to bring on Beth England, who, let's face it, would start for Manchester United. Jesse Fleming would start for Manchester United. Um, John Anderson would start for Manchester United. And I can't think of what... Uh, Drew Spence, who I think you know, would start for Manchester United. Um, and, you know, with that quality of depth and that ability to sort of rotate when you're bringing in those players fresh who are themselves eager to impress and sort of, you know, get a chance in the starting lineup because of the nature of 
Emma has shown more of a willingness at times this year to rotate and bring players in and out. Um, I think, you know, when you're sort of seeing that opportunity, suddenly you're thinking, well, I need to take my chance. And so you're more inclined to make an impact off the bench. And that, I think, is one thing that has changed this year for Chelsea, is that when players are coming off the bench, they're making more an impact. Yeah, and, you know, I mentioned in the the programme with Mark, uh, talking about United, and we we were talking about Chelsea's substitutions in this match. and, And, you know, I said, well, when you can throw out there, you know, England for Kirby, Fleming for Harder, Fox for Wrighton, you know, um, Spence for Kerr. And I, I took it one step further. I said that those players probably would start with like any other, pretty much any other WSL side outside of maybe City or Arsenal. Um, you know, they would start any of the other teams in the league, including United, including, you know, they would be starters on any team outside the top three, mm-hmm. uh, in my opinion, um, you know, and, and that's just, he speaks to the depth. Now um, what gets tricky, I imagine, I don't know. I mean, and this just popped in my head as far as playing time goes, you have Chelsea has started. <laughs> sorry. Let me reframe that. Chelsea has players who are on the bench. who could be starters in three quarters of the league. Um, is there ever an issue in Emma Hayes's world of playing time? Like players who want more playing time and they just can't get it because the team is just too deep? I think there is to a point. However, it's also one of those things that's a challenge to players to, you know, play themselves in and then when they get a chance to play, not getting sort of, you know, dropped. Now that isn't going to happen with every sort of right. situation, but you're seeing it right. increasingly. For instance, when she's come off the bench this season, Beth England looks really hungry and looks mm-hmm. really determined. And I think... You know, if Kerr does have a period where she stops scoring them, because uh, I didn't Kerr had a particularly good game at the weekend, despite scoring twice. Um, I thought she was sort of significant behind both Carter and Kerr. I thought both played very well. But, you know, when you've got those sort of players to come off the bench, and again, obviously she helped create the, uh, the fifth goal, Fleming sort of into a lovely little layoff. Spence's first touch a little bit poor, but a really good low finish into the corner. And I sort of thought five one, that would, you know, probably be it. Um, I thought, you know, Chelsea would probably just Stop it. But what was really interesting is at that point, Chelsea almost felt like they smelled blood when it went to sort of 5-1. And they continued attacking through that extra sort of time period. And, you know, United pushed players forward and was in an effort to try and get a consolation salvage some pride and then conceded the sixth, obviously, again, another break. I think it was England this time into Fleming. Fleming, you know, unselfishly squaring it at Spence. Spence's effort sort of saved to a point by... Mary Earps, I don't think she was at fault for any of you know, the goals. I don't think she you know, could be really blamed for any of it, but that was a piece of goalkeeping that, in hindsight, she'd have liked to probably push wide. Obviously, came back down and Fleming showed really good composure to sort of put it into the empty net. And it was good to see Jesse Fleming scoring, actually, because I think you know, I think Chelsea's two big things this season, as I said in the preview, is use Panilla harder to the best of her ability and get more out of Jesse Fleming. Because I think if they can get more out of Jesse Fleming, they've got the sort of midfielder, attacking midfielder that can get them Sort of, you know, 10 to 15 goals in all competitions and, or, you know, 10 goals and 10 assists. And I think that's something else, that extra bit of, you know, firepower is the sort of thing in tight games they could benefit from. Yeah. And it almost seems like, and, I, and, and it, it's just something I Chelsea is just so incredibly deep, um, you know, and yeah. I mean, and I think uh, to your point, um, you know, Emma Hayes has set up an environment uh, at Chelsea where, um, you can play yourself in, 
um, if you work hard enough, you play hard enough, and you perform. And if you don't, then you're not going to be at in. The, at the same time, I think the best way I've heard it described is you can play yourself into the team, but you're terrified of playing yourself out. Right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly the case. So who was your – out of all of this, though, um, who was your player of the match for Chelsea? Penilla Harder. Penilla Harder was just on a like, – Besides the goal, was just on another planet at times. Some of the touches, some of the movement she showed, just the way she tormented Hannah Blundell, who's a very good player in her own right. Um, and I think, you know, Blundell and, uh, and Battle are both good fullbacks. They're good players at WSL level, but they were made to look like complete amateurs by Penilla Harder. And that's no slight on either of them. That's just what world-class players do to you and can do to you on their best on the best days. And again, I still think Harder's got another gear to find. I think she, you know, herself has admitted that a little bit in interviews that she feels like she can find that extra gear and she's starting to maybe, you know, starting to reach that and rediscover that. And when she does, that's when it, again, I've said before, there'll be one of these games where it will suddenly all just click with that front three and it will be, you know, completely ridiculous. Yeah, um, it certainly is there. And, and this is where, you know, it, this this whole match is where stats really completely fail um, because it really doesn't tell the story. Because if you look at the team stats and not look at the scoreline, you would have think the match was actually even and it wasn't. Um, you know, the only difference there from a stats perspective was really interesting was, of course, you know, Chelsea's XG is four and United's was 1.1 1. 1, um, and so forth. But again, when I see, you know, some a team scoring more goals than their XG that tells me, you know, that they were just ruthlessly clinical, which Chelsea typically is. But some interesting numbers in this is that, yeah, we mentioned, you know, uh, Pernell Harder, which, you know, if you just looked at her stats, that doesn't tell the whole story of how she played. Of course, she did have that goal, but everything else that she did um, from an eye test perspective was, in, was you know, world-class. Um, I mean, other interesting stats in this was, you know, the fact that, you know, Kirby... Um, you know, had one goal, two assist, and had seven shot creating actions leading the team. Um, other interesting point was, you know, Lua Paltz had five tackles and Parter herself had four. Um, just some interesting standpoint from a stats perspective. But, um, but at the end of the day, um, maybe not the most. You know, it's kind of hard when you're in a runaway match like this, and there were moments where Chelsea kind of like took the break. You know, kind of put you know, put the brakes on a little bit, but then I, I totally agree at the last 10 minutes, it was just like blood and water scenario. Mm. <laughs> uh, which is like the, the, and the substitutes decided, no, we want to get in on this as well. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's basically what it looked like. I was like, Oh man, this is not, this is not going to be pretty. Um, and it wasn't. Um, so now, so let me look real quick next up. Brighton. Brighton. Well, Birmingham in the FA Cup, but then Brighton. So, your thoughts on what's coming up with um, Chelsea against Birmingham and, and Brighton? I mean, Birmingham, Birmingham. I think Chelsea will be quite confident to be able to beat them because I think Birmingham are find themselves in a difficult situation um, this season. Obviously, sort of bottom of the league, uh, sort of eight goals so far conceded. Just what you really want is you know the champions rolling into town having scored. 11 in their past sort of, you know, 180 minutes. Um, right. I think Chelsea will, you know, probably rotate quite a lot. You'll see some of the sort of other players in the squad get chances and hopefully they sort of take it. Brighton will be a really interesting one, actually, because obviously this season they've started the season 
um, quite well. Obviously, they did lose yesterday to, I think it was Aston Villa in a another sort of um, tight game between another pair of sides that are doing well. But again, uh, sort of Hope Powell has got Brighton doing good stuff. And Chelsea fans will be all too familiar with what happened last February. So I think, you know, Emma Hayes is... Um, sort of team talk has been done for her already because she'll just pin up that result and just say, go and avenge this. And I think with the fans behind them, they'll want to do exactly that. But it won't be easy because, you know, Brighton and Never are again one of those tough nuts to crack and Hope Power will have them set up in a similar way. You know, they'll look at maybe riding their luck, their luck a little bit, but, you know, they will fancy that they can take points from Kings Meadow again. Mm-hmm. Um, and then after that, interesting setup with going into the group stage of the Champions mm-hmm. League um, and with Wolfsburg around the corner. Um, so a lot of interesting uh, fixtures ahead, but mm-hmm. but Brighton and Birmingham is a good, you know, probably a good warm-up. Warm Sadly, Birmingham looks like they're a relegation candidate for sure. Yeah. Um, you know, it's a really rough situation there. Um, you know, and that's United's next opponent. So, um, uh, so... Uh, no, no doubt after they beat Birmingham, Mark Skinner will once again be the Messiah. I'm looking forward to that return. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, also, they're going to go ahead and build a statue. <laughs> just before I forget, I will uh, I will also say how brilliant the uh, travelling fans were yesterday. Just generally, the fans were brilliant. They made a lot of noise throughout the entire game. Credit to the United fans because they did also make a racket themselves. But yeah, Chelsea's travelling fans to travel all that way. The coach started at 4 a.m., in the morning and left them, um, you know, Kings Meadow, yeah, they, they organised it all by themselves, the supports group, no help from the club, um, which again is something else, kind of a rant about, but I won't, I'll focus on the positives. And yeah, just did a, you know, terrific job to get players, you know, to get fans up there and to give the players the support they needed. And that's what we need to see more and more in the WSL. And we need to see clubs starting to encourage that way support. Absolutely. Absolutely. Definitely need it. It, it does add a really excellent flavour. Uh, and that's what we're looking for um, and so forth. That's what it's about. All right, Rob, thank you so much for your time today and going over the, the Chelsea uh, match and looking ahead uh, and so forth. Thank you for joining me. Yeah, absolute pleasure. Thank you very much for having me. Thank you, Rob. We are closing out for today. Next up in the next couple of days, Kate will be on to talk about Manchester City's interesting match against Arsenal and interesting is probably not the right word for it, but it's the best I can come up with right now. Um, and then uh, we're going to have Josh on to talk about our, the Arsenal side of things. And one of the things I mentioned a little bit earlier on a previous show was that, you know, for me being someone who's like talking to people, um, you know, with the, with these four squad and these four clubs is that I only needed to watch two games. So that made it easier, <laughs> you know, so instead of watching four, I got to watch two. So, um, so I got to watch things a little bit more closely um, in these two matches coming up, but that's, what's coming up later this week. Thank you very much. Please smash a like on the video on the YouTube and also she, please share and please subscribe. All of that's available to you. If you're listening to us, because you don't want to look at me uh, staring into a camera and, babbling on you know visually you might want to listen to my voice maybe um so go to the podcast we're on all podcast platforms please give a five-star review and share with your friends as well thank you so much everybody for watching and looking and listening we will see you in the next couple of days with arsenal and manchester city reviews talk to you later everybody have a good one y'all